0: Hello, hello! On this episode, we're going to be talking about Sick, the new home invasion slasher film from Peacock, marking the return of Kevin Williamson of Scream, I Know What You Did Last Summer, and The Faculty fame. This movie is good, ridiculously bad, (laughs) compelling, boring, all at once. And this really interests me, because that recipe seems to happen in the slasher subgenre a lot. I mean, I could describe my feelings about, say, My Bloody Valentine the same exact way, for example. The plot of Sick is very simple. Set in the early days of the pandemic, Parker and her best friend Miri decide to quarantine in a secluded cabin alone, or so they think. So let's start with what's really good about this movie, since I'm going to get kind of harsh later, and I just don't want to start that way. And there will be spoilers, so if you care about that, take two doses of this movie and come back in the morning. So my absolute favorite thing about Sick are the characters' reactions to the killer. They are so refreshingly zero Fs given. It was so much fun to feel this movie take that no character would ever do this feeling that horror fans get while watching horror movies and flip it right back on us like it does in the opening scene, for example. Basically imagine that you were in the situation that Shelley Duvall's character in The Shining is in. When she's like trapped in the bathroom with Jack battering down the door with an axe. So just standing back and crying and not fighting back at all while the door comes down. That would be a pretty bad option. (laughs) Trying to squeeze out the window and not quite fitting through and taking too long to do it. And getting attacked from behind, vulnerable once Jack knocks down the door. Also a bad option. Mildly fighting back, taking a swipe at Jack's hand with the knife. Well, that's what Wendy does in The Shining, except that probably actually would not have worked out, except Halloran shows up and distracts Jack at the right time. So those seem like all the options, right? But imagine a different option. Imagine Wendy like muttering under her breath while Jack's beating on the door and saying his like sinister nursery rhyme stuff. Imagine Wendy just like saying under her breath, screw this, YOLO, and unlocking the door herself and throwing it open and going straight at that Jack with a knife like an attack dog. Well, in real life trapped situations, I imagine very few people actually choose that option. But that's exactly what happens in the opening of sick and not just the opening all over the place in this movie. The magic trick here is when you're watching the movie, you never once think nobody would do that. If Wendy had cried and just let the door get broken down and dropped the knife out of fear when Jack came in, I mean, if you'd seen that play out, I'm sure a lot of the audience would have thought who the hell just sits there and doesn't fight back and lets themselves get killed. Well, sick inverts that reaction but you're too busy rooting for the people doing it and to ever like ever stop and think who, who would unbarricade themselves from a space bot way before they would have to and just like go after the killer most of the characters in sick actually do have this like yolo berserker reaction and i have a theory why that happens we'll get to that in one second So when sick starts, it's the absolute beginning and most paranoid stage of the pandemic. It's like April 2020, and we meet Tyler, who is buying some supplies to take back to his apartment and standing around in a store, social distancing and trying to mask up because we're still at that stage of the pandemic where when like if one person coughed in the line, everyone turned around and looked at them. And Tyler starts to get mysterious text messages asking him if he wants to party. And in the YOLO spirit of this movie, he responds, sure, but who is this? (laughs) Like, I'll party with you, but I don't know who you are. Just tell me who you are, and we'll get it going, right? But the text messages get weirder and more creepy and more sinister, and Tyler ends up telling the stalker to F off and breaks off the conversation. He then heads out of the store to his car, of course, pours hand sanitizer all over himself in the car and heads back to his apartment, where when he gets home, he almost immediately gets home invaded. And we get a great 10-minute chase sequence where he gets stabbed, he gets away, he barricades himself in a small room. There's a very actually shining-esque knife through the door moment. And then the killer seemingly goes away, can't get through the door, and goes away. And this is the moment... I was talking about where you can imagine the character trapped like that, trying to like figure out a way to go out the window or trying to wait it out by further building up the barricade. But what he does is he under his breath says, screw this and wrap up his injured hand, grab a baseball bat, give himself a little pep talk under his breath while he's about to open the door going, okay, okay. And then he unbarricades himself gets out and tries to take on the killer if the killer is still there. He holds his own for a minute, but it does not end well for poor Tyler. (laughs) But I just really loved how all of this was handled. And you get the sense that because of the start of the pandemic was so weird, everyone was walking around thinking they might die and that they had less to lose than maybe ever before. They all kind of sense that even if we do make it through the pandemic, Life is about to get like way less fun and have way more suck in it. And I think that's why the characters in this movie react the way they do to severe threats with much more bravery than typical in a slasher film, almost a recklessness. And it got me thinking if there were other characters in horror movies that just like go hard from the start against threats. Right. Not like a Laurie Strode type who like runs and runs and cries and is terrified and then basically kind of learns how to fight back over time. But characters that basically fight back right away. And it's harder to think of these examples in horror movies than I would have expected. I didn't end up building a very large list. Now, now there is a category of character that does this, but it's not like what happens in Sick. I think of these characters in this category as in like the characters in the know, right? So these are like... Van Helsing and all the various Draculas, or more particularly, because he was almost the first character I thought of when I was trying to build this list, is Quint from Jaws. These characters are confrontational against the sharks and the vampires from the start, but I don't really count those characters for this because the characters in Sick have no idea they're going to be attacked. They don't know why they're being attacked. They don't even know who or what is doing it. So it's not the same. There's another tier of characters that are aggressively pushing it back against threats from the start. But they're doing it from afar, like the TSA guy from Get Out. Like he's on the threat from the start, and he's pretty brave about investigating it and trying to intervene and stop it. And that makes sense, right, because the threat is basically racism, and that's something with which he's intimately familiar, obviously. But he literally doesn't come face-to-face with the actual threat physically until the final scene of the movie. So I don't really count this kind of character either because the stakes are a little bit different from characters that are about to be physically killed in the moment. So the characters that match the characters in sick in a other mo- other horror movies in their response, I'll start with the funniest one that came to my mind, even though it's really dear to my heart. It's Thor. That's the dog from the movie Bad Moon, which is a super underrated werewolf movie. And Thor is absolutely not having it that a werewolf is threatening his family. He sniffs it out right away. (laughs) I mean, sorry, literally. And confronts the werewolf at every chance, including a magnificently funny scene where he, like, pisses on the werewolf's territory just to send a message. And, of course, the werewolf does it back, which is amazing. I know what you're thinking. But you picked a dog. (laughs) But... First of all, this dog is a great actor. Yeah, better than a lot of actors I saw in horror movies in the previous year. And second of all, this movie is based on a book, an amazing book, by the way, where the dog is the main character of the story. The, the story is told from the dog's point of view. And I, I just love the movie. So Thor's who came to my mind first. It's been a minute since I've seen John Carpenter's The Thing. But I don't remember MacReady, Kurt Russell's character, backing down to the creature in that movie very much at all. I think there might have been moments where he's kind of like wisely trying to temporarily get away or, or retreat to a safe spot. But it's only so that he can immediately arm up and come back and do some thing killing. He's also almost as hairy as Thor from Bad Moon. So maybe that's a common theme with these kind of characters. I mean, even his famous you-gotta-be-effing-kidding-me moment seems like a line that someone from SICK would have said. The characters in SICK are distant kindred spirits with McCready's attitude. And I think that's actually pretty telling for all the joking around I'm doing here, because Outpost 31 has a very fatalistic, we're-all-gonna-die-anyway atmosphere to it. And I think despite the vast differences in appearances... Sick is going for that same kind of background malaise, and I'm definitely here for it. I'd love to see like a study of how long it takes Final Girls to turn from trying to run or escape to move into fight mode. And who is the quickest to move into the fight mode? Off the top of my head, I feel like it might be Nancy from Elm Street, at least among the majors. But that could be totally wrong. I haven't put a ton of thought into it yet. Another interesting example of this might be Buddy Repperton from Christine. I feel like basically all he does is fight and confront until the very end when he runs for his life in total fear and panic and ends up a burning smudge on the road. This, this is kind of like the reverse arc of a final girl. Fight, 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 fight then die. <laughs> We do a live video off of our Facebook page every Tuesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern, and I asked this characters that go hard right away question and got some great answers from the group that I hadn't thought of, like Andy, the gun shop owner from Dawn of the Dead, or Ben from Night of the Living Dead, or Bert from Tremors. I'm sure there's lots of other great examples of this, and if you think of some you want to share after listening to this, go to the Horror Weekly Facebook page and drop us a message or drop us a comment, and I'll bring it up on the next live video next week. There are many, many call-outs to previous horror movies in sick. The opening scene, starting off with a menacing phone call, is obviously scream, especially considering Kevin Williamson. But I like that in this instance, there is no voice on the phone on the other end. It's just silence. So that's a change. There's a Pet cemetery ankle slash moment, there's a jigsaw lays on the ground forever and then pops up near the end moment. There's even some Creepshow to The Raft love going on here. And then, here comes spoilers, the fact that this is a Kevin Williamson thing and that the reveal here is that there are three killers is hilarious. So I'm calling it now, the next Kevin Williamson movie will like start with a FaceTime and end with four killers. You heard it here first. This guy really just has certain moves that he loves. Joe Himes directed the hell out of this movie. It's really well made. It's really tight. And once it gets going, it does not stop. It has some great visuals, great kills, great chase scenes. The minimalistic score is also really, really well done. There's a ask not for whom the bell tolls. It tells for you like little hollow sound that pops up throughout the movie that is pretty awesome. The acting is top-notch. I saw a lot of people online talking about how good the two main protagonists are. And and that's true. The characters of Parker Parker and Miri are really, really well done. They've got good chemistry together. But Jane Adams and Mark Monaka of who of course his character is named Jason. <laughs> this is a Cabin in the Woods scenario. They have great line deliveries for villains, and they also have a pretty cool chemistry with each other, which is really important when you're in a multiple villain situation. The log cabin, woods, lake setting, like I mentioned, is fantastic as well. So, what's the problem here? Well, I imagine there are going to be three main objections to this movie. I'll do them in order of mildest to worst for me, anyway. They are the COVID pandemic theme and the fact that COVID is the motivation for the killers. The fact that there's a chunk of the horror fan base now that basically calls every movie ever released boring in parts. And the fact that this movie telegraphs all of its major moves and reveals in advance. I'm not overly afraid of COVID myself at this point, but I love science. And I read a lot of science books and articles So I find the virus inherently fascinating. If you were to talk to me about it, like in person, I'd probably end up sounding like Sam Neill in Jurassic Park talking about raptors. Um, And, you know, he wasn't overly afraid of raptors either. It's not like he asked to leave Jurassic Park immediately when he found out there were raptors there. He was just smart enough not to, like, go into their den unarmed or whatever. But viruses try to infect human or, I mean, for that matter, animal populations on a mass scale every minute of every day. Yet a virus only manages to pull this off like once every 100 years or so. And that makes the few ones that do just inherently interesting. So the point of this is, unlike I'm sure a lot of people out there, I'm not going to automatically roll my eyes at a horror movie that takes COVID as a main theme. I'm, I'm good with that. It actually makes for a really interesting atmosphere, particularly for a slasher movie. There's, this genre often plays with the idea of isolation for people being afraid of multiple things at once, like drowning or heights or getting stabbed. And it makes characters... Choose uncomfortably between two fears. All of that actually works really well here. And the COVID element also makes sex in this movie scary and irresponsible again in a really creepy way. Because the time period in which this movie is set, which kind of reinvigorates that like retro old school slasher feel. The problem is using COVID as the primary motivation for the villains. And that is a big eye roll. I'm sure that looked good on paper, but I don't even think Alfred Hitchcock himself could have executed that idea and not have it come across as weak sauce. I mean, slashers, the villains in particular, obviously, they benefit from some mystery behind them. This one is overexplained, over obvious and counterintuitive. There is one amazingly great side effect of having the villains motivation be COVID, though. A side effect so hilarious that I almost can forgive how badly all this worked out. So when you think about it, the villains in Sick are furious at Parker for being a reckless, irresponsible irresponsible party girl who infected their beloved son. And then he died. That's the motivation for the killers. There's actually a foreshadowing moment where Parker is talking about making out with this kid, and then she was like, I would have kept him around longer except for he ghosted me. Well, he might actually be a ghost now. But because this is a stalker slasher movie, the the killers are basically watching and monitoring Parker all the time. And that means they get to see her having all kinds of fun, hanging out at at this glorious log cabin, maybe the best log cabin to ever appear in a horror film, at least in terms of luxury. They get to see her having like like a great friendship. They get to see her reconnecting with her ex-boyfriend, maybe putting that together. They get to see all her like beautiful posts of hanging out by the lake with her aggravating hashtags, of talking about how good she is at doing 2020, as she says. I like to imagine the killers in this movie like watching all this and just getting more and more agitated, like the way Wiley Cody must feel watching the Roadrunner just speeding around, living his best life without a care in the world. When you're watching, say, Friday the 13th, you don't really have time to consider whether Jason just absolutely hates seeing people have sex because he's so remorseless about the killing. You don't have time to think about it. But because Sick is a stalker movie, there's this delay all the time where the killers are just kind of setting up. And it would be like spending a day or an afternoon inside Jason's head as he's thinking, I bet there's people having sex nearby. I think I can hear them. It's really pissing me off. Just because of how cosmically comical this is, I'm going to give this motivation gaff a, a near pass. <laughs> so now for the second problem. I've seen a lot of people saying online that they couldn't finish the movie. They couldn't get past the first half. They they were really bored. They thought the whole first half of the movie was boring. I completely disagree. I actually really appreciated watching a relationship go nowhere. You almost never see that. And that's what happens here between Parker and DJ. And you almost never see that. I'm not just talking about in horror movies. You almost never see that in like mainstream movies or, or any movies in general. Screenwriters love arcs, right, as they say. And in the relationship uh, here between Parker and DJ, there's no arc. It, it's a flat line. <laughs> and that happens in life all the time. So it felt very real or at least refreshing. And I don't think it went on too long to harm the movie. I think it actually added a really, um, like, almost moving sense of sadness and, and panic and dread when DJ dies. Because DJ does all the right things to protect Parker when things are going down. And, and she saw that. And you'd have to imagine that's going to, like, sit on her heart or, or at least make her rethink the relationship retroactively. So I don't even have to give this one a pass. so This is not even a flaw to me. It was actually more of a strength. But the third charge, well, this one is almost lethal to the whole movie, as good as the rest of it is. And I'm not even sure why the movie let this flaw be so egregious, but SICK absolutely telegraphs in advance almost every single important move it's going to make. Not just the twists and the reveals and the death orders of the characters, But even down to like the blocking of the scenes, I'll give you an example. There's a moment when Parker and Miri are trying to escape on like a narrowish ledge on the roof of the cabin. And I knew in advance down to the second what was going to happen in that scene. I knew where the jump scare was going to come from. I knew that one of them was going to fall and like lie on the ground Michael Myers style until they eventually got back up again. I literally saw it play out in my head before it happened. And when it happened, it looked exactly like what I had seen in my head. And that happens way too often in this movie. It happens with the scene of Parker and the killer dueling on the lake in the Creepshow Raft moment. It happens when Parker tries to elicit the help of the only distant neighbor in the woods. It happens at the end when a character that was supposedly out of the game returns. I mean... Even there, I knew down to the second in advance when it was going to happen. I knew what direction that that returning character was going to come from. I I just didn't know how the character was going to die. It's virtually the last shot of the movie. And it's gorgeous. A really great looking sequence. But zero suspense. Because this movie is like a very slow boxer. Where you see the wind up. You see where every punch is coming from. And that's a real shame. Because the punches are good. The fear on the characters' faces look real. The, the music is perfect for the moments. The kills are glorious. It's just, I, I can't even say predictable. It's just so telegraphed that the suspense factor is way, way lower than it should have been, especially in the back half of the movie. But hey, that's like one and a quarter flaws out of three, with a lot of other really great stuff going for it. So overall, I think Sick is a really good addition to the home invasion slasher genre. To put it in perspective, I think it's not quite as good as one of my favorite underrated slasher, slashers of all time, which is the sequel to The Strangers called Strangers Pray at Night, but it, it's not far behind and you could do a lot worse. It also has the blessed benefit of knowing exactly what it is, being very tight, pretty short, and best of all... Despite the gesturing towards COVID and social media and relationship elements, it's pretty much message free, which in the age of A24 horror is a a really, really refreshing change to see this once in a while. You could almost say at a time when we're getting at an avalanche of trauma horror that's sick is a welcome cure. So that's it for this week's episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next Wednesday. Until then, have a great horror week.